Well, hello there, dead and lovely listeners. It's your good old buddy, Uncle Ben, and today I'm joined by a very special birthday podcast, and boy, who's that over there? Hey, it's me, Birthday Steve. Oh, it's Birthday Steve. You sound so sweet and innocent. You're just going to have just the nicest little birthday. You got your little hat. You got your pinata. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to play Pintail on the Donkey. Madness. Uh, I'm going to have my friends over, and then one of my friends is going to play with one of my new toys, and then I'm going to have a fit because I didn't have a nap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you going to have a disappointing sheet cake from a grocery store? Oh, buddy, yes. Uh, disappointing sheet cake from a grocery store with, um, I'm going to guess SpongeBob on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that sounds kind of disappointing, honestly, but you're not going to be disappointed by our episode today where we're going to review your birthday choice for Action August. <laughs> Action August. Yeah, dude, that's right. It's another week of Action August here in Dead and Lovely, and this is your birthday pick. We're talking about a big torable in Lytle, China, from what, 1986? Most of those words, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's how it works. <laughs> Pretty sure. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China, a movie I watched a, a gajillion times as a kid. And also is a John Carpenter movie and uh, been wanting to cover it for a long time. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it because, boy howdy, it is awesome. Just it's rewatching it for the show was just like, fuck, this is so good. That's so good, man. We're going to get on to the movie review later on in the episode. If you want to head straight over to it, there's a timestamp for you in the podcast description. Before we get there, we're going to stop in at the Preview Palace to do a little FAQ action, as well as catch up and shoot the shit about our action-packed weeks of Action August. So uh, hang out with your boys here and have yourself a good old time. Just relax. Get settled in. Put you on something comfortable. Take off your socks and shoes, why don't you? Where are you going? Yeah. How come you still get them socks on, huh? Knock them off. If you're listening to this with socks on, I don't care what you're doing. You stop right now. You take those socks off. You throw mm-hmm. them out the window if you're driving. If you're at the gym, uh, throw them at your nearest uh, gym buddy. Uh, just get rid of them. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, just get them off of them feet. Let them things breathe a little bit while you soak up the words coming out of our mouth heads over here. All right? <laughs> Let's do it. How you been doing this week, man? Uh, great. I got some stuff on, on, uh, cooking right now. Some, some ideas out there. I'm marinating. Yeah. And, uh, I can't say much about it right now, except that, uh, Legacy of Brutality will be returning. Oh. Along with a co-host. Word. Yeah. Some, some future stuff. I'll let you know as it, as it comes, but I'm working on, um... I'm changing it up a little bit. I'm not going to go as chronologically as I was going before. I'm just going to dip into certain decades and talk about some themes. But it is coming back, and I'm excited for that. Um, Word. That will, yeah. I, I will, there, there will be some future news about that. But I think um, I'm excited to at least get enough episodes out to make a t-shirt for that awesome design <laughs> that Trevor Nesbitt did for me of the werewolf uh, fucking rad-ass design for the Legacy of Brutality cover. 
uh, needs to be on a t-shirt. And Sick. Yeah. And you get to flash around that awesome theme song, too, because that thing's bad Fucking shit. rad as hell by a guy I know, a name of Ben Eller. Woo! 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 That's cool, man. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, it's a lot of work, though. So I am really, really, like, uh, doing trying to do some planning to make sure that it doesn't uh, overwhelm me again. But it will be coming. Just look for it. Sick, man. Watch the skies. Other than that, I've been watching some movies just chillaxing. How about you? Dude, this week I thought was going to be a little bit more chill than it turned out being, but then things took a turn. I'll tell you what, just like life does, sometimes things just sneak up on you and surprise you, man. So I think I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago that I had scheduled my my much, much long time needed uh, wisdom teeth removal surgery for like later on in this month. Uh-huh. And I looked at the dates and I was like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to have my wisdom teeth taken out on the 20th. And then the 23rd, I'm supposed to be playing a concert with Andy Wood and Greg Koch. I was like, oh, shit, oh. that is awful tight timing wise. And I don't know how I'm going to react. I don't know if I'll be ready to play a show three days after that. Some people are. Some people aren't. So I called my uh, my dentist here, Premier Dental in Knoxville. And I told him, I was like, dude, if there's anybody that cancels before the 20th, can I get in that slot? Because I have this concert and all this jazz. And uh, shout out to Premier Dental. They're like, yeah, absolutely. We'll put you down for first dibs just in case anybody cancels. Because uh, their oral surgeon is just there like two Saturdays a month because he comes in from Nashville, apparently. So it was, um, let's see, it was the 5th. And I got a call from them at like 3.45 in the afternoon. They're like, hey, somebody just canceled for tomorrow at 11 in the morning. Can you do it? And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, yeah, okay, go ahead and sign me up. Um, Which, you know, freaked me out. I was instantly just fucking petrified like, oh, shit, my funeral is tomorrow. I've been dreading this for fucking 20 years, dude. Yeah, Um, I know. (laughs) You know, I've been putting it off partially because for most of that, I didn't have insurance, which means there's no way in hell I could afford it because America. And then for the past couple of years, you know, Kate's had great insurance through her work, but I've just been putting it off because I'm like, I don't want to fucking do it. Uh, After having not gone to the dentist for like 15 years, it's really, really easy to develop like pretty severe dental phobias, man, just because I'm so (laughs) out of practice with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was really, really fucking scared about this. But honestly, like sneaking it up on me and being like, surprise, you're doing it tomorrow is probably better than me having the weeks of lead up knowing it's coming. Right. Oh no, next Dreading week it's coming. It. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's probably better for me just to have ripped that band-aid and done that right away. So uh, I went in, got it done. I had to get all four taken out plus one extra molar that had been destroyed by one of my goddamn sideways stupid wisdom teeth. Ooh. Yeah. And dude, I'm telling you and you know, I- I'm I'm putting all this out there because I know there's a lot of other people out there with the same like dental phobias and that are really scared to be put under. I've never been put under before. And just even the thought of getting those teeth, you know, removed is very fucking scary. Um, Legitimately. And I'm just saying this to show you guys what a fucking wimp I am. This is the (laughs) scariest thing I've ever made myself do ever. This is the scariest thing I've ever done. I can't think of anything else in my life that I was like this freaked out by safe boy. Yeah. So I did it. And I'll tell you what, it was nowhere near as bad as I was fucking expecting. God bless what they can do with drugs. Holy (laughs) shit, man. Uh, 
it, it, it's amazing. That's exactly my experience is you don't even remember it. <laughs> no. And the thing about it is, dude, is like if you go in there like I did and you tell the people that are working on you, as long as the people that are working on you really actually do give a shit about what they're doing, in which case, if they don't, don't go to them. Uh, if you go in and you tell those people, look, I'm fucking nervous about this. I don't know what I'm in for. I'm really fucking terrified right now. They'll give you the good shit. They know how to calm you down. They do this all the time. And they were totally able to get me into a malleable point where I was like, okay, fine. I guess we're doing this. And it was, it was not a big deal, man. It was totally not as big a deal as what I was uh, working it up to be after having put it off for 20 years. So don't be worried about it. Just fucking do it. Uh, get the good stuff. Get whatever you need. Like, I'll tell you this, man. If my options were, oh, well, you have to stay awake through the whole thing. The best we can give you is a shot of Novocaine to the mouth and that's it. I'd have been running for the fucking door. I know that I can't handle Scary. that. I needed yeah. to be knocked out. I made that clear to them and they took care of that for me. So just be open with your healthcare providers about what you fucking need to make this work and get it done. Yeah, I had the same exact experience. Uh, I told them I was nervous to get an IV. <laughs> I wasn't really nervous about... Oh, yeah, you don't like the, the needles thing. and shit. That's I right. don't like needles, yeah. I knew I was going to be knocked out, so I wasn't really nervous about that. But I was nervous to get an IV, and they were like, oh, okay. And they gave me nitrous to give me the IV. So, yeah, yeah. tell them, <laughs> tell them you're nervous. They'll take care of you. It had been so long since I'd been on nitrous, dude. Like I think the last time I'd had nitrous was probably when I was you know, six years old or something like that. Man, that stuff makes you high as a motherfucker. It's the best. Oh my it's so god, fun! <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, I, my, my vasectomy was a blast. <laughs> I'm totally doing that, dude. Because like, especially now that I've gotten this done, I'm like, the vasectomy is not going to be anywhere near as bad as that. Oh yeah, nowhere near. But knowing too that I can go in there and like get nitrous to make myself less nervous about it. Fuck yeah, sign me up. I'll pay extra 100%. for that. One hundred percent. Yep. Totally. That is absolutely it, necessary, I think. Just give, give them the money so you can get zonked out and just sit there yeah, and giggle. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I had the operation done Saturday. It's Tuesday as we record this right now. Maybe, maybe my intonation or pronunciation is like a little bit different because I'm still getting used to this new arrangement of my teeth and not having that back molar in there. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe I'm just being very self conscious about it. I don't know. But no, I can't um, hear a, a difference. Okay. But, yeah. I understand. Uh, everything probably sounds different in your head now. It's it definitely feels different. different in my mouth, like the way that my you know teeth feel against my cheeks and shit. The way my teeth sit against each other now without the wisdom teeth, mm-hmm. uh, it all feels a lot different to me. Um, and I'll tell you too, man. Like as far as the uh, the follow up goes, again they they hooked me up with some good drugs and shit like that the pain has been extremely manageable like very fucking manageable i don't think any pain that i felt has been as bad as like the intense shooting pain i was having in my wisdom teeth like three weeks ago whenever something something in my mouth like moved like my teeth shifted or something i was mm-hmm. having this like shooting pain Ugh. it Anything I've experienced since having my teeth fucking taken out has not been anywhere near as bad as that. So keep that in mind too, you know? Yeah. And of course, I've had Kate taking care of me and stuff, which has been great. She's been a real trooper because she's had a fucking plate full of stuff to do on her own, taking care of her work and the dogs and all that stuff too. And then on top of that, you have me just being a big baby lump on the couch (laughs) needing to eat soft food and reminders to take my medicine and shit like that, dude. Like, 
I'm a, I'm totally in that crowd of dude, like men who are just fucking infantile when they don't feel good. That's me. Uh-huh. I'm 100 in that crowd, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I fit right there too. I yeah, turn into dude. a little bitty baby. Totally, man. I, I do like the idea of you just sitting around in your, in your new glasses, um, eating mashed potatoes, uh, kind of half out of it, just staring at the TV. That's like, yeah, <laughs> that's like people, Eller. Right, the future. <laughs> I was totally practicing for that, man, because it was totally an excuse to just be like, "Well, just lay around on the couch, do drugs, and eat mush." I guess <laughs> it was honestly not that bad. By now, though, I'll tell you, man. Like you know, three days since I am Jones in for a fucking drink. I haven't had to drop to drink since Friday night. Um, I've also been staying away from from THC and stuff because it can apparently negate the effects of ibuprofen, huh, which sucks because I'm on like ibu- ibuprofen 800s to deal oh, with the man. pain and stuff right now. So apparently you can interact badly with that. So I've just been living like the fucking sober life, like some kind of fucking square. <laughs> just sitting around raw dog in life, except for, I of know. course, the, the, the pain pill. Opiates, yeah. <laughs> I tried to only do those as much as I needed to. I've not taken them for the past two days. I think I just took those for the first two days because I do have such a fucking wicked, addictive personality. Uh, dude, even like yesterday, like yesterday was the first day I didn't take any, and I was already getting fucking cranky. Like I was getting, like my heart felt like it was beating harder. Like all the withdrawal side effects like immediately kicked in, even though I'd been taking those things for like two days. So opiates are not for me. I don't, I, that's, I, my, I think I just have like a, um, I don't know, like a built up worry in my head. Cause I like members of my family have been addicted to hydrocodone. Like I don't feel the same way when I, I've taken it in the past, but I do feel like I don't want to take, like I never want to finish the bottle or whatever unless I have to, right? Because it's just like I, I don't want to, I don't want that. That is it. I've seen what it does to people, and it can be really terrible. Exactly, so I, I understand that fear. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, even just taking ibuprofen and a leave, the pain is managed. I don't really yeah. need it. But I, I do fucking need a beer right now, dude. But of course, I'm not doing any alcohol while these fucking wounds are healing up. So I'm going to crack myself open a Gatorade Fit Watermelon Strawberry. Ooh. Not only Damn. is it Gatorade, it's the Gatorade that doesn't have sugar in it. It's like stevia and shit, so it's only 15 calories. So it's not even like high-test Gatorade. I love me a Fruit Punch Gatorade, for sure. That red flavor. Dude, if you call yeah, it by like the it. actual That's fucking... It flavor names and not the colors you're a cop yeah they right? should be red that because what does it taste like it tastes like red yeah it's red gatorade the purple one yeah. tastes like purple gatorade green <laughs> exactly. gatorade man uh-huh. yeah if you call it the flavors you're a fucking cop <laughs> so i just enjoyed having a little bit of time being zonked out and stuff i had a lot of people asking if i had any good stories about like you know kate driving me home coming off right. the anesthesia and stuff and me saying any like really wonked out crazy shit not much. I was mainly just really sleepy and groggy, but I think the only funny thing worth mentioning that really happened is um, on the way to the dentist, I was playing my big time motivation playlist on Spotify. Okay. So uh, just to get myself big time motivated, of course. And uh, whenever we got in the car on the way home, that's still what was on there. And one of the songs on that playlist is uh, Dreams by Van Halen, which is a Van Hagar tune. You okay. Know? Mm-hmm. And there's a part in the chorus of that song Andy Campbell pointed it out to me years ago, and it's always stuck with me, where Sammy sings, Dad, 
that's what dreams are made of. But it sounds just like he says, that's what dreams tomato. <laughs> sounds like he says tomato. Dreams tomato. Okay. Yeah. And apparently I was just like zonked out in the passenger seat. And when it got to that part, I just like yelled at top volume, tomato. And Kate's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to kind of like mumble, explain. It sounds like he said tomato. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure made a ton of sense to the person driving the car at the time. So, you know, yeah, so nothing too eventful and stuff, but I did get time to to watch a bunch of things, man. Kate had fucking uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy pulled up and ready to go for whenever I got home. So I was kind of fading in and out of consciousness to fellowship and stuff, which is great. Apparently also at times just pointing out extremely obvious trivia to Kate about the movie. (laughs) He broke his toe right there. Like shit like that, you know, Uh very fun, insightful stuff. And uh, after I came to, man, we started watching a thing or two and kept that up over the weekend there. So the night before my surgery, we watched that dang old Prey on the Hulu, which just came out. That new Prey Dater movie, what just come out. And hey, I think you watched it too, didn't you? I sure did. I watched it three times, in fact. Woo! Woo! Did you ever record a podcast about it? I think I recently did, in fact, record a podcast about it with you. Oh, dude. Like, what platform can you listen to it on? Um, If you're a Patreon subscriber, you can listen to it on Patreon. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, you can't listen to it. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Become Woo. a subscriber on any level. You can hear our Prey mini-sode that was like 45 minutes long. Um, it's a maxi a spoiler-free and uh, a full spoilerific uh, episode. So go check her out. Yeah, dude. Long story short, to anybody you know who is on our Facebook group and already knows, uh, we both really liked it a lot. Yeah, like it's it's yeah. fucking rad, man. I really do think it's the best since part one. Yeah, I watched it um, a little bit after it came out. Like like I was, I stayed up to watch it. Um, and then was just in love with it already. And then also, uh, Jack of all graves had an impromptu pray watch along, um, on Friday. And I joined that, um, just, I really wanted to see if everybody else was having a similar experience to me because I was loving it and turned out they were too. Uh, and then they had another like second Jack of all graves, uh, uh, chat, watch along later that night after the screaming chat and i just uh, dropped into the chat and just you know paid attention to see how everybody was was experiencing it again just rave reviews so it's great guys go check it out shit yeah man definitely definitely really enjoyed it above and beyond my expectation level and um, that night of my surgery we wanted something to watch man so we put on train wreck which is the documentary about the story of Woodstock 99. Oh, right. That just uh, came out on Netflix recently, right? Yeah, dude. So, like, a couple months ago, we watched the Woodstock 99 documentary that was on HBO or Hulu, one of those? Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember HBO or Hulu. I remember you talking about it um, yeah. being a, a, a bad event for everyone involved, basically. <laughs> yeah, just a huge fucking shit show. This is, like, a three-part series. I think every episode is, like, 40, 45 minutes, something like that. So it's like a little bit more in depth about the goings in and goings out of the entire thing. Gotcha. I think this one 
paints a worse picture of the of oh. the actual like promoters and the people that put it together in terms of just like how little of a fuck they gave and how the entire thing was just for money and how all of these guys, like all the promoters and people that put it together is just like, oh, that happened, but that wasn't my fault. Yeah, this thing happened. Oh, that wasn't my fault either. Like nobody wow. wants to take any responsibility for any of the despicable shit that went on at Woodstock 99. They're just like, well, it's because all the angsty new metal. Like seriously, that was their whole answer. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, for the bands. Okay, so if that's the case, then why did you book the fucking bands, you idiot? Right. If you knew that was the crowd they come with, like, why? yeah, yeah. So it is sense. your fault. Is what you're saying again? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, my god, it was it was ridiculous, man, and just definitely looked like a big old shit show. But it was put together well. It was definitely worth a watch. Uh, the next morning, there while I was still dr- uh, just zonked out on fucking uh, hydrocodone and shit. We watched uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, that okay. animated Disney flick there. We hadn't watched that one yet. It was good. Beautiful animation. I haven't seen it yet. It, I remember the previews looking pretty, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely gorgeous. Easy watch. Definitely the right thing that we needed for uh, for that day. Just something easy to watch while I was on the drugs. But yeah. I'll tell you what. It was good, but it didn't compare to the next thing we watched that day, which is... I'm going to say a high point of my entire um, wisdom tooth removal procedure history, man. Okay. Because we sat down to watch a movie that I, uh, Kate had seen before, I had never seen before, and I can't think of a better time to watch this movie for the first time than when you're 38, on the couch, <laughs> and on uh-huh. hardcore drugs. Yeah. The Last Action Hero. Woo! Holy shit. It's a good one. It's a blast. I yeah, fucking it love it. It is a treasure. It's stupid as shit. Yes, it is. Absolutely stupid. It was uh, exactly for what I needed at that time, man. Dude, Arnold and the Zingers in that movie are just out of control. Uh, and, and it's got all those other like meta elements and stuff. And yeah, yeah I, I, I really, I remember as a kid just being kind of like, whoa, like mind blown by it. I always liked meta stuff as a kid too. So 93, that was around the time that um in the mouth of madness came out as well so like that was Sick. really when i was getting into meta stuff it was kind of <laughs> you're like what timing. is reality <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did love too that that movie kind of like it sort of put one toe in the blade runner waters for just a second after arnie's character comes to the real world and he's like wait so my entire history that i remember and my wife and my kid and all this is, is all fake like what does it even mean to me anymore what does my reality mean if everything that I know as reality has been written as fake. It like gets really deep for just a second. And then it's like, I don't know, some gangster called the fart has uh, toxic gas (laughs) in him. He's going to blow up. So he's got to throw him in a tar pit. It like, it just barely flirts with it. And then it's like, ah, never mind. Here's some fucking ACDC and Megadeth soundtrack stuff, whatever. I definitely think last action hero is, is an action August type of movie for the future. For sure. Oh dude. So good, man. Love that one. And I think the only other thing that we did over the weekend is uh, finish watching through Russian Doll Season 1, which oh, okay. I fucking Great. loved, man. I yeah. can't wait to start Season 2. I really thought that it was super cool. I really thought that I knew where the show was going, where it's like, okay, so it's like Groundhog's Day, you know? Right. Uh, but, but it, 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 it goes in directions. Turns. Yeah. 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 Especially there at the very end, man. So... I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, season two does. Have you watched it yet? I saw season one. I want to watch season two, but I feel like I need to rewatch season one to 
because it's been so long. Yeah. There was like uh, three years in between the two seasons or whatever. And like, I barely remember everything that happened. I don't want to be lost. Because no. it feels like it's a, it's a very intricate story they're telling. I, I don't want to go into season two and be like, wait, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus two. I mean, it's, it's an easy watch. It's like, I think eight or 10 episodes, 30 minutes each. Like you can blow through yeah. that pretty fast and it's just so enjoyable anyway. Absolutely. Um, I, I'll ha- I'll have to get on that because I've been wanting to watch season two and I just kind of put it off to the wayside and I really need to get onto it because Natasha Leone is so fucking good in that. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's great in everything, dude. So really, really dug it. Look forward to watching uh, season two here soon, man. But that's been about it for my weekend of, of watching, man. I used my other recovery day, uh, of course, editing video <laughs> as I do. So that was uh, my entire recovery thing I've been going through. That's what they they do say. Hey, if you're recovering, you know, sit back, relax, or whatever. And, you know, edit a video if you if you got something to put together. Exactly, and I did. So that's what I was up to, man. What'd you watch this week? Well, speaking of speaking of questioning reality, uh, I rewatched The Matrix the other night. Oh, still still fucking great, man. Still great. I know, right? Like I did those a couple months ago, and I was like, "Man, that first one is still really fucking good." It is, yeah. I really do just wish they had ended it there. It yeah, doesn't be need fine. further explanation. I don't think. Nope, nope. It really does not, man. Like that, and again, I do like some of the stuff that the animatrix set up, where it's a little bit more history about how they got there. But like the story doesn't need to go further than what the first movie put out. It could just end right there, and that's fine. It, yeah. That's that's pretty perfect. It you know it hits, you know I as I'm, I'm watching it like I I'm always breaking it down. It, I've been watching it for what twenty something years now, uh, and and like it 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 really is just so many different allegories that are concluded perfectly at the end and don't need further explanation. Like I don't need to know more about the Matrix. No, nope. the the point wasn't the the matrix the point was the allegory the point was like the story was getting at like what reality is and and like uh you know how we can break away from uh these false realities that we create for ourselves and, and stuff like that like i really was looking uh this time specifically for you know what people have pulled out of it about like uh trans identity and stuff like that i was really interested yeah. in seeing that um, but again, like at the end of that, it's like, yes, it said all these things, the end, <laughs> like I yeah, do it get end right there. Yeah. I do get, you know, Warner brothers comes to you and says, here's a big pile of money. Okay. We'll tell you more about the matrix. But, um, that first movie is just, it, it, it's, it's good on its own. Like it doesn't need any further explanation. Yeah. It's very self-contained, man. I saw a, a tweet from somebody recently where they said that, they sat down with their dad and watched The Matrix with them. Uh-huh. And uh, this is the first time that their dad had watched it with subtitles on. And, like, as soon as the movie starts, he goes, Oh, this whole time I thought his name was Neil. <laughs> <laughs> You're Neil. Like, I love the fact that Neil. that would be, like, the name of the big, you know, savior character of this entire universe is, like, we've been waiting on Neil. <laughs> Obviously, it would be uh, he kneels to pray. Because right? he Jesus, right? Yeah, it turns out. Yeah, it turns out he Jesus. So I, I yeah, I think like looking at that, like I know that is a reading 
evangelicals put on it, and others see him as like he is supposed to be an allegorical Christ-like figure. Well, and also at the end of the third movie, he does turn into a giant golden cross. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just so limited to just look at him and go, "Oh, Jesus." Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Matrix, fucking awesome. Are you going to watch through the other ones, man? Is it like in- no, inspired no, no. you to watch? Okay, so you're done. That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, I'm, I might watch the, the new one just to finally see it, but I don't... There's no reason to. It, oh, dude, you still haven't perfect. watched it? No, no. And uh, why? <laughs> yeah, why would you? Um, uh, last week I, I said uh, I had been watching the Predator movies and was trying to finish them before Prey... So I did. I finished uh, Alien vs. Predator's Requiem, which uh, still too dark, still not very good, but um, better than The Predator, which I then Ugh. watched, which is so fucking bad. I don't know. Like I've been meaning to watch it, man. It's bad, dude. Like it, it, it feels very much like a Shane Black script from 1985. Like. It feels like he's he's the young Shane Black writing for people in the eighties and he's forgotten that like that's that's not how people are and how people want their characters to be anymore. <laughs> they yeah. kinda want you know, like if every character kinda sucks, it's hard to connect to them. Um and then also, there's some moments in there that just really pissed me off. Aside from the, again, as I said last week, horrendous like superhero autism attempt where basically they just, this poor kid, um, for some reason, is uh, able to comprehend the predator language and technology for no reason uh-huh. other than he has autism, which they've made a, a superhero ability. In Hollywood. Yeah. Um, that sounds insensitive. It is. And yeah, it, it does not help the plight of people with autism uh, to be, you know, having people out there thinking like, oh, why can't you do all the special things I see done in movies? Like, right. Well, because yeah. That's yeah. not what autism is. Probably um, not helping your average person understand autism any better. No, no, not at all. It, it, it just it, it plays out terribly like overall it's just kind of it, there are ways it could have been saved for sure but it, it's just not good um so yeah i don't i don't know if i'll ever watch that movie again <laughs> <laughs> and then also i watched the golden child which is in relation to the movie we're talking about today uh big Tur- trouble in little china and I'll, I'll talk about how they're related when we're talking about the movies but golden child still funny still uh, as uh, uh, interesting and funny as I thought it was as a kid. Um, Man, I need to see it. That's one of those ones that like I've had people tell me in the past, like, whoa, you've never seen that movie? What's fucking wrong with you? Who damaged you, they say? <laughs> well, it's not surprising because it was a failure and it was actually like, like one of the moments where people were like, oh, wait, Eddie Murphy can make a movie that doesn't succeed? Like, that's... Yeah. We didn't know that was possible. Uh, but, you know, just like this movie, which was also a box office failure, I, I don't know that either one of them were advertised as what they were. And even if they were, uh-huh. how would people... Like, 
what would you connect it to? It's like, this is a, a, a Chinese mysticism <laughs> martial arts movie with some devilry involved. Like, Is the gold child like that too? Yeah, yeah. What? We'll talk about their similarities. They are so similar. But yeah, we'll wait huh. till we get to the movie. Because okay. there's a lot of connection between Golden Child and, and this movie. They actually came out in competition um, of one another. So I clearly have no clue what the Golden Child is about. Like I've I've seen the movie poster, and it's like okay, it's Eddie Murphy in a cool hat and like a stylish '80s looking background. It doesn't really tell me fuck all about what that actually <laughs> it is. So yeah, I don't think either were advertised well because nobody knew what to do with them because they are they're weird movies. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, I I think Golden Child is uh, is still good. It does not have uh, the staying power this movie does, but it's it's still worth a watch. Word. Okay, I'll need to check that one out. Yeah. Um, and also uh, on the screaming chat and Ice Cream Sunday, we're doing action movies because it's Action August. So we did Double Dragon. Oh my Friday god, night. dude. <laughs> oh, from the golden age of when video game movies were made by people who have never actually played a video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Holy Robert shit. Robert Patrick is like out like he is so perfectly outfitted with that like he's got like a terrible dark goatee and then like bleach blonde hair and he's just acting it like I would compare it to um, what's his name in uh, Super Mario Brothers. Fuck Dennis Hopper Dennis in Super Hopper, Mario yeah. Brothers, but like toned down because you know Dennis Hopper's <laughs> insane. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, with less yeah. blow. Okay, <laughs> but Robert Patrick is going for it. Uh, Alyssa Milano with the short bleach blonde hair, uh, fucking doing it. You got what's his name from Party of Five. <laughs> it's it was <laughs> honestly fun bad like I so had i don't remember it. much about it like i remember as a kid being really stoked for it because my brother and i loved the double dragon game and i remember watching the movie and being like i don't think this person has ever played the game yeah like i remember there was a point in there where if one of the brothers gets hurt the other one gets hurt too and i was like what the <laughs> fuck is this that's about all i remember about it honestly um so it it really is like yeah, it, it's someone's like warped misunderstanding of a side-scrolling beat 'em up game, um, but it, it it's fun. I'm telling you, it's bright. It's '90s as fuck. It's a good bad movie. I I do recommend anybody out there who likes good bad movies check it out. Okay uh, then. And then another one that we we were supposed to watch Miami Connection on Sunday. I did not realize because uh, I had been uh, distracted. I did not realize that the YouTube link I had had ads and the Amazon Prime um, uh, upload was from a, a thing you had to join a service and it still had ads or something. And so we didn't get to do Miami Connection. Uh, I had a backup, which it turns out also had ads. Listen, I'm not a pro at this. I've just been doing it for years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I had a backup, Double Trouble. And let me tell you, Ben, it was no Miami connection, but this was another fun, bad movie <laughs> where yeah? like, Dumb I'm kind of glad we got to watch it because I already know Miami connection is fun, bad. Is Double Trouble about Stevie Ray Vaughan's band? <laughs> it should be. 
Um, it's about okay. So there were these guys in the in the uh, uh, early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. They were bodybuilders and they were trying to get into acting. And they did like I, I think a few comedies where they you know they're twins, so they they play these twin bodybuilders getting into shenanigans. And the thing is that like the script for this movie was not great or anything. But the guys, you can tell, like, if you hung out with them, they're probably fun. Like, they're probably... Because they have, like, good, like, chemistry together. And, like, they... The only problem is that, like, they're... The humor they're given in the script is just, like, they're... It's almost like they wrote... Took a movie written for 10-year-olds. And they were like, what if we gave it to some swole-ass bodybuilders? (laughs) (laughs) So the humor sounds awesome. Yeah, he was all like real juvenile, but it kind of does work because, yeah, it is funny that these swole ass bodybuilders are doing it. So I actually had fun with it. And we might do another one of their movies because Ryan uh, uh, from the the chat, Canadian boy Ryan, uh, sent me a link to another one of their movies. And I started watching it. I was like, fuck, I'd watch this, too. (laughs) Awesome. That sounds like good fun. Yeah, so Action August is is uncovering some some good bad movies, and I'm excited. No for kidding, it. no kidding. Yeah, both of us, dude. I mean, Last Action Hero is now uh, a new in rotation watch for me. So Fuck we're just yeah, discovering man. all kinds of jewels here in Action August, man. <laughs> well, dude, I'll tell you what. I think it's about time we fact the shit out of these motherfuckers. Fact, fact, fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. As we enter into the preview palace. Welcome to the preview palace. Woo! And this is going to be a very special FAQ installment based on questions we had submitted from our various social media pages. Hey, you guys can find all them social media pages using our Linktree page. Just look up Linktree Dead and Lovely. You'll find our Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. All that kind of Everything. jazz. It's all there, yeah. These were submitted by all of the cool kids. Of course, we didn't get time to, uh, you know, we're not going to have time to answer all of them, but we have found the choice cuts. There's some real good ones here, and um, I I think we may have answered this at some point, but this is from Rob Senzone. What is the origin of the podcast name, Dead and Lovely? Were there alternate names in the running? So kind of, sort of, like, I remember whenever we were, you know, deciding to start making this live, we had a little bit of a debate about what we should call the show. We had a bunch of different ideas and shit. Um, We wanted it to be, you know, maybe not on the nose horror, but at least like kind of horror adjacent or like kind of deep cut. Like, I remember for a second there, we were kind of flirting with calling it, it was like Morning Rise Horror Podcast, which is the name of the cemetery and Phantasm. Uh-huh. Um, that was like an idea we had for like just a second. Were there any other ones that we really kind of were considering? I can't remember. Well, I, yeah, I don't remember being married to any of them. We just had like a bunch of brainstorming like lists, but it, none of them really stood out. And then I don't know what spawned this, but you texted me dead and lovely as an idea. And I was like, that's really good. Um, yeah. And From then, the Tom Waits song of the same name. Right. The Tom Waits song of the same name. And you, you have that uh, like surf rock zombie version of Dead and Lovely that uh, we would use as a full theme song, but don't want to get sued. So. Yeah. <laughs> so you just yeah. hear 
the little tiny Just end of it there on the, on the earlier yeah. episodes you hear more of it but yeah we use we use less of it now but yeah we both like tom waits and shit and it just sounds like a cool kind of horror theme thing that yeah, song has absolutely. always been on kate and i's like halloween playlist so i guess i just kind of have halloween horror vibes kind of associated with that song anyway so that's where it came from it was just like yeah that's cool that'll work Plus, we knew that we'd be able to to pull up a lot of uh, fans that were necrophiles because they would Google Finally. dead and lovely, uh, you know, looking for some some hot corpses or something and find our show right. instead. So there was also that angle. It's our long game where we're fighting Big Necro by bringing their people in and then exposing Big Necro. Exactly. From the inside, man. Oh, I've been manipulated The corpse fucking... Uh huh. From Hell's Heart, we're striking at them. <laughs> All right. So, Jason Codera asks, "You're tasked with creating an action horror mashup movie. Ooh, what action hero character and what horror movie villain are you picking?" Ooh. Okay. So, an established action hero and right. established horror franchise. So, okay. The thing that I would like to see, which I think would be a really fun, ultra-violent splatterhouse gore fest, but also have some fun stuff with a straight man in a goofy universe. Uh-huh. Dude, if anybody ever made John Wick versus the Evil Dead, I am on oh, fucking dude. board. <laughs> okay, yes. Ultra, ultra-violent, all that, that gun porn stuff, all the headshots, all that jazz. Like, just make a fucking Deadeye eat his dog or whatever, and then that's, <laughs> that's the entire thing in motion. I am the fuck there, dude. Yeah, I, I that's awesome. I My first thought was, I immediately started thinking of the Predator and who, who would go against the Predator. Um, oh. And... My my first thought was John McClane versus the Predator in a building. Just like John McClane like finding his way around and whatnot and the Predator trying to find him. And maybe you still got all the other stuff going on. So the yeah. Predator's taking out these guys with guns and whatnot. And John McClane doesn't have a gun yet, but he finally gets the gun. Now the Predator wants to kill him or whatever. Fuck like, yeah. Yeah, sign me up. That would be amazing. I, I could see a, a ton of things working here though, like uh, somebody, somebody pointed out that the Urukai and Predators look similar. So Predators in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be a wild card. That would throw a wrench into the gears there. You know, one that I would fucking love to watch. Think about this. What if James Bond, who, as we know, just goes around the entire world, fucking anything that moves. Right. What if he ended up in the It Follows universe? <laughs> now that could get intense, yes. right? Okay. All right. Yeah. So like, yeah, he, he, well, the problem is he's going to spread it to some, some people too. Cause he's always yeah. getting his dick wet. So exactly. Uh Oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is, I see the stakes here. It's already like adding up. This is, this is good. Okay. Exactly. He's like, everybody around me is dying and I can't figure out why. It's never coming for me. <laughs> okay, so Jonas Ninavara asks, uh, this is a three-pronged question here related to Kurt Russell characters. <laughs> so he asks, which Kurt Russell character from any movie would you hang out at a bar with, go through the events of the movie he's in with, 
and go to Woodstock 99 with. (laughs) Oh, man. What a cool tie-in, huh? (laughs) Holy shit, dude. That's amazing. Yeah, Kurt Russell character I'd hang out at a bar with. Um, I, I feel like Jack from from Big Trouble in Little China is probably the least dangerous and probably would be the most, like, even though he's a loudmouth, he is funny. He would be a great hang. That was my first guess, too. This is also kind of like Fuck, Mary Kill, uh, right. Kurt Russell characters, <laughs> which is fun. I like that this is a different lens to explore that through. So, yeah, that was that was my first idea, too, is, like, I would love to smash a beer with Jack Burton and hear his stupid bullshit stories and also, like, fuck around with him because he's an idiot and stuff. That would be a lot of fun. Um, myself, because I'm, I'm a guy and I know I'd be safe in this scenario... Hanging out with Stuntman Mike from Death Proof at a bar would be really fun. I know I'm in no risk of him like trying to kill me or anything because I'm a dude. Right. Uh, and while he's just hanging out at the bar... What are you going to talk about, though? He does seem like a pretty fun guy before all the lady killing starts. I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> Who are you going to go through the events of the movie with? I think, I think Jack Burton. Yeah, okay, so you want to be in this. Yeah, all right. yeah. Because it's just nothing but a good old fun time. He always has a way of inadvertently keeping himself actually out of danger just by being an idiot. So I know I wouldn't really have anything to be all that worried about. Right. Uh, So I I think that, yeah, I think Jack Burton is the guy I'd love to just be his little sidekick to him being a sidekick throughout this movie. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think for me it's Overboard. And uh, I I would be his friend who's off to the side saying, hey, you shouldn't... um, you shouldn't lie to that lady. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know like, what? Hey, you know what? I'll tell the lady. I'll just y'all tell her real quick that Cap- Captain Ron would also be a good hang for either of these two, man. Oh, absolutely. Fuck yeah, Captain Ron. Like, oh. uh, I listened to the uh, the 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 Big Trouble uh, director's commentary, and it's just John Carpenter and um, Kurt Russell drinking and talking about the movie. I bet that rules. Yeah, it does. And John Carp, uh, Kurt Russell says that uh, he thinks that uh, he John or uh, fuck in shit <laughs> Jack <laughs> is uh, the the best like uh, performance he's ever given. And uh, John Carpenter says he thinks it's Captain Ron. <laughs> nice. So, I'm telling you, that Captain Ron's got something to him, no doubt. All right, and the third one is go to Woodstock '99 with. And this okay, one, Woodstock '99. Uh, this one, I'm taking Snake Plissken with me, and we're just taking them out, right? <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's probably <laughs> that's probably the best. Way. And actually, I'm kind of right there with you. I would take him as as fucking Wyatt Earp from Tombstone. Oh, damn, I don't think he'd be yes. He'd be dealing with any kind of shit, man. He would be getting shit taken care of. You're gonna do something or just stand there and bleed? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. All right. This one's a real good one. Uh, what's the one horror movie that had a twist ending that you would like to rewatch like it's the very first time seeing it? This mm. comes from Algeray Booker. Uh, I think for me, I've said before that The Others was spoiled for me. Yeah, dude. So I would like to have seen The Others and not knowing what was coming. Because I do think it's it's still a good movie, even if you know. So I would like to have gotten that like sort of twist surprise. 
Yeah, you know what? I think I'm also going to go in that same boat because fucking David Letterman spoiled The Sixth Sense for me back in the day. <laughs> so the I never day. got to go into that one fresh and have my mind absolutely melted like everybody else did. So yeah, I think I would go back and, and do that one with a clean slate for that same reason too. Um, this comes from Tron Kerr. How did you guys get into IPAs? Oh. There was a period where I... Uh, heartily disliked IPAs because the only IPAs I'd had tasted like a pine tree. Yeah, dude. It was really weird. I remember years and years ago, my buddies that were like really hardcore into beers like Mitch and Junkyard Joe Roland and all these other guys were getting really hardcore into IPAs. And this is like right when up on Gay Street in Knoxville, there's like Sutri's High Gravity Bar, which that was like at the time the only place around here you could get you know, crazy beers from small breweries out of state and shit. You could get them on tap there. And I remember going with them there and just being like, I have nothing to drink. You guys are drinking all these beers that taste like earwax. Like to me, I specifically (laughs) remember them ordering beers by companies like green flash and them giving me a sip just to see my reaction because I'd be like, you know, I'd turn my face inside out because I'd be like, God, it's so bitter. It tastes like earwax specifically. And then it's weird because I haven't had a beer I would describe as tasting like earwax in a fucking decade. It's really strange. I don't know what turned in my head, but it's like I lost that taste bud. I think, um, you know, the first few times I had an IPA, it was, um, I can't remember the companies, but just like, yeah, they were always really piney and just like over, overly like, taste like you, you couldn't like taste anything in them except that just like strong bright pininess yeah there's kind of that like race there for a while among beer makers to be like who can make the most bitter one it's like they were just really <laughs> right. keying in on that one note of just like making it, it not fucking good. bitter yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I think the first one I had that I was like, oh, okay, this one has some like more subtlety to it was a, a harpoon IPA which I don't know, I haven't had in a long time. I don't know how I would react to it now, but at that time it was the first one I'd had that was kind of like more subtle. The flavors, you know, uh, didn't uh, overwhelm. And then also like uh, Magic Hat had some stuff. And and, and it started to kind of open up. And that once once people kind of embraced different types of hops rather than just like the piney notes, like that's when it, it became much more bearable. Uh, and you get, you know, more of the tropical fruit flavors and whatnot. Like, I think, you know, it, if you're trying to get into IPAs, which is, I believe, why this question is being asked, if you're trying to get into IPAs, if you look for something with, like, uh, that has a more tropical hop to it, um, you'll probably like it more than the more, like, citra hop things and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. yeah than the more bitter, piney kind of thing. Right. Like, for me... Yeah. I think the one that kind of turned me over, and this is also where I would go to, I think, if you're a more casual standard beer drinker, is like the Dogfish Head. I want to say the 60-minute IPA or maybe the 90 is one of the ones that really kind of turned me over because they're way more malty. Like, they're they're hoppy, but they still have a lot of malt going on in there, too. So that was kind of my gateway IPA, I think. I might be remembering that wrong, but I remember that being one of the ones early on that I was like, oh, okay, I get it. It's different than a, a regular beer. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's, I mean, uh, IPAs are so varied 
Uh, I mean, you, you can obviously drink any other type of beer and just enjoy yourself. But if you are trying to get into IPAs, yeah, just know they're so varied. If you don't like one, it doesn't mean you don't like all of them. Uh, here's a good one from our, our pal Grayson Hester, who uh, was on our Black Swan episode. Was there a particular moment in which you realized you were an atheist? Like an aha, God is dead moment. <laughs> oh, shit, man. We're going from beer to the deep stuff here, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just, he, he actually got this in while we were recording, but I saw it and I was like, yeah, that'd be fun to talk about. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know that there was a very particular moment where uh, I realized I was an atheist because I was atheist before I became Mormon. Um, yeah. As a kid, it just like didn't make sense to me. So as a teenager, there was probably just a, a moment where I realized there was a word for it, and it was like aha. But uh, as far as getting out of Mormonism and, and going back fully to atheism, I do remember the moment where I was like, "Fuck it," um, and it was uh, uh, that. There was a the Fox show Sleepy Hollow. Um, I remember I was watching the uh, pilot episode of that, and for some reason in my head, I was just like, I'm gonna go buy some whiskey. Uh, really? And I did. I went and bought some whiskey, and I sat and drank some whiskey. Um, and that was just the moment where it was like, Yeah, no, I. Not only, you know, am I not going back to Mormon church, I just don't... What's the fucking point in any of it? None of it makes any sense. <laughs> and I'm happy, happier sitting here drinking some Bissy. Yeah, and I, like, I don't know. <laughs> so thank you, Sleepy Hollow, that show that I saw three episodes of, for maybe giving me the inspiration to just be like, fuck it. <laughs> wow, that's funny, yeah. huh? Yeah. Was there a particular moment for you, or is it just like a culmination of things? It was definitely a culmination of things. Um, a lot of, yeah, life experiences and exposure to uh, different people in different circles and experiences that kind of led me to where I am. I think the first big thing that really started it, though, is um, back whenever a, honestly, about the only, like, really close family member that I've had outside of my immediate family um, died when I was in my early early teens uh-huh um she was a very 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 deeply deeply religious person and i have so many great memories of being over at her house and stuff as a kid she was technically my second cousin but she was really more like a grandmother to me she was older than my mom um she's the closest thing that i ever had to a grandparent that i was really actually very tight with um that i was related to not counting kate's grandparents and um she she got breast cancer and it was like really 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 bad. She let it, and, and honestly she let it go and stuff too because she had gotten you know word from her her church and her pastor that she had been healed. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so okay. and then of course uh, she was not healed. She died, and mm. it was completely unnecessary because if she would have gotten actual medical treatment, that probably could have been taken care of, like a lot of cancer cases. Uh, so that's definitely when I started really questioning things. I still hung on to it and I still went to church and stuff after that, but it was, it was definitely a gradual process that I would say that that was the thing that really, really started it where I was like, well, this is fucking stupid. 
Yeah, they'll do it. Yeah, when when someone you care about is basically insulted or harmed by yeah. religion. By their faith, right. Yeah, it, it definitely, yeah. That, that's something that, I don't know, I know growing up, like, uh, I, I had friends that I'd do drugs with and, and drink with, and then they'd go to church and they'd feel bad about doing drugs and drinking or whatever. It's like, why? Wait, why? Why? Yeah. What is this process for? <laughs> <laughs> but it was definitely a, a process of, of deconstruction, which is a, a term that I think I've kind of picked up from uh, our homeboys, Rhett and Link, man. Good Mythical Morning. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, about a year or two ago on their podcast, Ear Biscuits, they did like, it's like a five, five or six part um, podcast series about the the deconstruction of their faiths because they grew up very much like most of us did here in the South, man. Uh, they're a little bit older than us, but still they grew up in the Southeast and the Bible Belt and the Carolinas and stuff. And um, they reached a point in their, in their later years where it just kind of stopped making sense to them bit by bit. Go listen to those podcasts if you haven't. Like, if you're a person who has ever wondered, like, how could somebody get to that point with their faith? Or how can I get to that point with my faith? Uh, go and listen to them. It is very, it's entertaining, but also extremely heartfelt and very, very interesting to hear them talk about it. So I'd recommend going and listening to those episodes of Ear Biscuits to get a, a more in-depth view than the process I've just described for myself. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's a that's a solid question. Uh, from, as as we know, uh, Grace and Esther knows a little bit about the Bible, just a little. A bit. thing or two, thing or two. Yeah. Um, this is from Kev Bickerdike. If we had to Oy, name Kev, Oi, Governor, <laughs> how we doing? <laughs> <laughs> is that what they say? How you doing? I don't know. <laughs> Got to greet him in his own language, obviously. Uh, <laughs> if if uh, Ben and Steve had to name four directors for a horror Mount Rushmore, who would they choose? And then he corrected Oof. himself. Mount Rushmero. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, man. Yeah. Okay, so here's the question. Mm-hmm. Are we going in terms of actual importance of the foundation of horror, or are we talking about our personal ones that we would put as, as like our favorites? Because those are two very different things. I think they are, and uh, I, think, uh, I, I think we'll just... Each of us will make our own list. I, I'm probably going to go more from the traditional... But you, you go from the personal. I, I think it works either way because, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's on there. So, like, what? <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I would say, like, for foundational stuff, it's like you would you'd absolutely have to have, like, Romero on there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Romero, for sure, is, is, is like, not only, you know, foundational for... Um, uh, zombies, uh, but also you know made movies like uh, you know Martin about vampires. Uh, you got he, his whole oeuvre was influential throughout its time, and oh, yeah. yeah, he was also ahead of his time in making uh, you know a, a, a zombie movie that was very serious and 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 also address some issues and whatnot in 68 so he's he's just kind of ahead of everybody in that like uh horror meaningful horror genre maybe <laughs> though there were there were people ahead of him uh who made meaningful horror movies he, he really like pioneered this like you know uh, a movie that that's definitely saying something more than just zombies are scary yeah yeah 
Uh, I think also, you know, uh, our, our director here, John Carpenter, uh, deserves to be on this list. I mean, he's uh, very much the the godfather of the slasher in America. Oh, yeah. Uh, because of Halloween. Not that there weren't slashers before that, but that was really the thing that initiated everybody being like, fuck, we need to make slashers. They make money. Um, and then beyond that, you know, we got The Thing. Uh, we've got... Uh, 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 in the Math Madness, one of my faves, uh, yeah. Christine, the Fog, like he he really so varied. Yeah, he was like all over the place and really bringing like his own vision to these different like subgenres of horror and that influenced I, tons of people too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like Jordan Peele uh, said that James or that John Carpenter is is the best horror director, and I think Jordan Peele's a great horror director, so he's definitely worth li- listening to. Um, sure. what, you know, you got Wes Craven. He's another worth another mega, mega important one, man. Yeah, hugely important. Yeah. So I don't know. Like th- those are three of the more foundational. Uh, you could say someone like Kubrick or or uh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Yeah, because they had. Some they don't major have that many influence. horror movies. Exactly. They've only got like you know you got The Shining one for Kubrick, and then you've got uh, you know Hitch. Psycho could be considered horror, though it is it is probably the more definition of of a, a thriller. Um, and then yeah, the birds. The birds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ver- I guess you could consider Vertigo maybe like horror, but yeah, he's he's not really a horror director. Um, he's a suspense director for sure. Yes, for sure. Who else we got in there that that has been like? Because again, like you know, Steven Spielberg, he's got Jaws, uh, Gigantic. Uh, he's got Poltergeist, but, but I mean, Toby Hooper directed that technically. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Toby Hooper, another guy you could name, but I don't know if his influences like beyond Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how much it was there. I know. Right. Cause seriously, like Toby Hooper, man, he's got a lot of fucking stinkers in his catalog, man. A lot he of does. really shitty movies. <laughs> he really does. He really does. Uh, you know, Cronenberg, maybe. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cronenberg does have quite a lot that have been very influential too. And that, that's kind of where I'm having trouble thinking about this list is because I've found that my opinions about this, much like so many of my other opinions and stuff, whether it be, uh, yeah, music or whatever, I tend to historically not like the source as much as its descendants. Like, right. I like Metallica more than Black Sabbath. Metallica uh, would not exist without Black Sabbath, though. Okay. Um, I'm that way with a lot of stuff. I love uh, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai more than I like Hendrix. Neither of those guys would exist without Hendrix. So for me, you know, I, I think that guys like, like Robert Eggers and Ari Aster are doing stuff that is foundational for this next generation of horror. And there's already so many people that are just trying to rip those guys off and copy what they're doing based off of, I mean, what, like five movies so far. Right. Like, I think those guys are massively important and I fucking love their movies, obviously, but they wouldn't exist without all the other directors that we just talked about. This is kind of hard for me to put together. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, if it, if for me, I I would say, yeah, that, uh, Romero, uh, Carpenter, Craven, and, and Cronenberg would probably be my four. Um, it is uh, fitting 
for a Mount Rushmore that it's for white men. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, like, Savini deserves a spot on there, too. Even though he's not really directed a lot of movies, he's fucking important. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say. Is that, like, yeah, what you're saying is a good point. Because, like, if we're talking about the traditional, then, yeah, we just end up with all all white male directors. And if we look at what's going on now and, and how people have really, like, run with it, there are a lot of people doing something very interesting that's going to change the way horror is done. Uh, and they're giving us something outside of just the white male perspective. And yeah, so there's, there's definitely a Mount Rushmero, uh, to be made with a, with a Jordan Peele on it. Um, Oh yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. And in terms of just like favorites for me, it's like, I would absolutely have Carpenter on there. Um, it feels kind of cheap to say Eggers and Aster because they just haven't made that many movies. It's very few. Yeah. Uh, you know, but God damn it. I love all of their movies so much and um honestly just because i can't help it i fucking love it i, I might have a dang old argento on there i love that silly <laughs> italian that's uh, that's fair honestly argento definitely um has a, a huge and wonderful influence that is still being felt as i said like with stuff like malignant and and whatnot where it's like oh these things are very giallo like very yeah are, yeah, re, like reinserting the absurdity of Giallo is, is great. Uh, yeah, so that's a tough one. Mount Rushmore. And I think we'll end on this one from Steph Boychuk, uh, because this is this is something we've we've kind of hinted at when these things happen, but what are the top three movies that have been ruined or rehabilitated after chatting <laughs> about them for the show? Dude, that's that's true. Damn, that is it happens. Yeah, <laughs> that does happen quite a lot of times over the course of this show. Like as far as as far as ruined, I mean, honestly, whenever we talked about Indiana Jones on a, a wildcard episode right. a couple of years ago, we kind of broke that movie. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it kind of hurt it for me to. Although to think I'll about say, it a lot. Yeah. I still love it and I still watch it, but it did it yeah. did kind of break the movie for me, knowing like, oh, actually, if Indy wasn't there, the entire movie would have played out exactly the same. He didn't help yeah, or hurt. He did nothing. Anything. <laughs> Just you an know observer. so. Yeah, but I won't say it ruined that movie for me. You know, um, I think that like when we did What Lies Beneath, it definitely did ruin that movie for me. I had right. like fun, yeah, you, liked you know, it before that. <laughs> yeah, I had like fun memories of that movie, and I was like, oh yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Harrison Ford, yada yada. And then we watched it for the show with that critical eye, and I was like, man, this sucks. Like this movie just fucking sucks. Like I don't want to yeah. watch it again anymore. Uh, rehabilitated for me, uh, I thought of Vampire's Kiss as kind of a joke movie. Um, it's it's been done on bad movie podcasts and stuff, and it's I, watching it. I was like, I don't know, this is a brilliant performance and a well written script. It's uh, bonkers. Seems, yeah, I I, th- I think uh, Vampire's Kiss really got rehabilitated for me. I I, saw, I see it completely differently after talking about it for the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, audition for me was turned around too, man. Like, um, our friend Brandon Settles, he was always really into Kashi movies. And that was one of the ones that, you know, he showed me first and I was totally, totally not ready for that at that point. Like I wasn't really into (laughs) horror. I wasn't really into Asian flicks or anything at that point too. And it was just way too much for me. I thought it was fucking gross and weird and, and all this. I didn't really get into it, but whenever we did it for the show way back, it really made me appreciate that movie so much more deeply. I really think it's an awesome movie now. So, I mean, yeah, those, those, those three will work. 
uh, though there have been a ton. I mean, just so many times I've gone into a movie being like, I think this is pretty good, and then coming out like, man, that's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or the other way around, too, man. We're like, honestly, just going into our Malignant episode, I was like, this is a dumb piece of shit movie. And then... At the end of it, after we talked about it a bunch, I was like, this is a dumb piece of shit movie. Like, my intonation <laughs> changed. Like, the words were the same. That is true. <laughs> but it did change my intonation on it. Yeah, I, I and I've come around completely. Uh, no, I mean, honestly, you can listen to our Malignant episode. I was never, I was never entirely against it, but I've kind of come to the point now where I love Malignant and think it's awesome. So, like, <laughs> I... Uh, Beyond just the chat, sometimes I'll just uh, watch a movie again or think about it again and be like, fuck, that is really good. That happens yeah, yeah. with movies where we'll like trash it and then I'll see it again and I'm like, it's not that bad. Right? <laughs> True, man. Well, there you go, guys. We, uh, we effed the, uh, we, we aid, we, we cued, we, uh, we, Aid the ass Someone out of your cues. That's the integrity of the, frequency, of the frequency with which these questions are asked, since they're only Good asked point. the one time. Yeah, that's fair. It could be a Q&A, maybe, but that's not what we're calling it. Deal with it. Nah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. That's what you fucking get. So, there you go, man. Thank you guys so much for submitting those glorious questions on our various social media pages. But now... I think it's about time we get to the meat. We sink our teeth down into the meat. We're getting down near the bone. We're getting into mm. the marrow. We're, we're getting into the, the tasty giblets of this episode, the which giblets. is to be talking about a big, torrible, and little china from 1986, yep. dude. Holy shit. Okay, so I watched this movie for the first time, I think, during the start of the pandemic. I think was the first time I'd ever watched it. So, you know, just a year or two ago. And my first reaction whenever I watched this movie was I was actually like mad at myself. I was mad at life (laughs) thinking about all of the, the boring Saturday afternoons that I've endured where I could have been watching this movie instead and making my life significantly better and happier by having this as a part of it. Like I was legit disappointed in myself that I hadn't watched this movie before. So I was really stoked to do it again on the show, man. So I don't have any kind of like nostalgia for it. I know this is one of those movies that a lot of us grew up watching. Uh, but me, I went back and watched this, you know, as an old man. And I was like, holy shit, this is where Mortal Kombat came from. This movie's fucking <laughs> awesome, man. But you grew up watching it, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, um, it's funny you say lazy Saturday afternoon watch because that's what it was for me. Um, I remember it was on one of the Fox affiliates um, here in in this area and it would come on all the time on Saturday afternoons like after cartoons. And it was like, fuck yeah. So it was sit around and watch that and, you know, we'd rent it too. Um, and it was this and Golden Child around that time that I would watch just like constantly, and I did not know that they had any connection. Um, somehow didn't put it together until now as an adult. I watched Golden Child and watched this, and I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, like they, these movies are very similar. Um, and then I find out that. 
actually this movie was rushed out to beat Golden Child to the theaters, and also that Golden Child had been offered to John Carpenter. Holy <laughs> shit. So they're like really, really connected. Super duper connected. And they're these two actors who like everything they were in when I was a kid, I'd watch it. So Eddie Murphy and Kurt Russell. So like it's just these two movies that are so similar. And I don't want to, you know, I know Golden Child is a, an old movie. I don't want to spoil everything. But it, it has like, you know, the same sort of like mystical elements uh it's got this guy who really doesn't understand this world basically coming in and being a loud mouth and and kind of you know in the case of golden child he's more of a an actual hero whereas in this movie jack burton is the sidekick and also fails so often (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's why now as an adult i look at the you know, watching them around the same time as each other, uh, I think Big Trouble uh, has more staying power and is a better movie. Golden Child is more of its time, but it's still a good movie. So are you saying that, like, The Golden Child is the movie that Jack Burton thinks he's in this entire time? Actually, yes. That makes all the sense in the world because Eddie Murphy charms uh, the, the girl and they, like, have sex and stuff. Like, Jack... I think Jack is, Jack knows himself, Uh, to get deep into Jack Burton, I think Jack Burton knows himself well, but he also projects this entire, like, you know, uh, huge ego, bravado type of thing, at the, like, because at the end of this, the huge ego bravado guy would get the girl. Yeah. The guy who knows himself doesn't stick around because he knows he can't keep her as interested as she was while they were fighting mystical elements in Chinatown. Okay, but I could also put up the argument that that is because Jack Burton just sees himself as being fucking John Wayne. So, like, he's constantly asking, like, what would John Wayne do? Oh, he'd ride off into the sunset Uh alone without the girl. And, like... yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like maybe that's him not knowing himself because he's an absolute himbo the rest of the movie. You could totally see it either (laughs) way, though. Yeah, you could. The character is, and, and, you know, this is from listening to John Carpenter and Kurt Russell uh, just drinking and talking about it. The character is, he's a blowhard. He doesn't have a lot to back up what he's saying. Um, He, he's got a whole lot of confidence and not a lot of uh, actual like ability <laughs> yeah um and in the movie he's not he's not the hero he's not the guy getting everything done that's wang chi that's his the guy who in uh you know uh, most of the 80s movies that were trying to be kung fu movies it would be the big wide action hero with maybe a sidekick who was chinese or japanese or what, whatever they were going for in this it, Wang Chi is very much the capable hero, yeah. and Jack Burton is his uh, bumbling sidekick. I love it, dude. I love it, and it's this like culture clash that's going on through the whole movie too, where Jack Burton is like you couldn't think up a more American badass kind of character. Where it's like it's Kurt Russell. He's a truck driver. He's got all this uh-huh. uh, bravado. He sounds like fucking John Wayne. And he inserts himself, or rather just kind of falls into this situation and keeps inserting himself into 
this other world of Asian culture and Chinese black magic. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time, like a real American, imagining that he's the main character the entire uh-huh. time in this world, he has nothing to do with. Yeah, it is like ultimate white savior um, satire. It really, really is, man. And I didn't catch it the first time I watched this. Like the first time that I watched this movie, you know, I I came away from it like remembering all the the fun, goofy, like yeah, Mortal Kombat esque action stuff. Yeah. But then it's also like, yeah, Jack Burton, Port Chop Express. It's all in the reflexes. Like you remember the badass parts, and then you watch it again, and you're like, oh, this guy's a fucking idiot. Like, yeah, <laughs> very, very much like the Indiana Jones thing that we were talking about. If he wasn't in this story, everything would turn out basically the same. Yep, yep, and, and even like him killing, uh, killing uh, Lopan at the end, like. It's not like Lopan had the upper hand on anybody else. Like somebody else could have come along and beat him. It, it just so happened that Jack beat him. It was all in the reflexes, though. He was right about that. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> man. And at that point, too, it's like Lopan had been returned to his old man mortal form. Like anybody just could have shot him. Like there's a million yeah. guns around that place. It's not like Absolutely. he was damn invincible. And, you know, Jack was the only guy that could have done it. Fucking anybody could have done it. No, yeah, it, it, it the movie does a great job of presenting, yeah, this like stereotypical uh, America, fuck yeah, running in guns blazing, no plan, no, no thoughts, just fucking completely only worried about getting your truck back. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, he's he's he is, and and he's the thing is it's Kurt Russell, so he's still charming and fun and stuff. This character Extremely. could easily be hateable. Played by oh yeah, he's not else. like an abrasive fucking prick that you're like, God, when is this kind of gonna die? It's not like that, like at all. Um, no. He's also not a child rapist like Indiana Jones. So <laughs> <laughs> right, Jesus, he's yeah, hitting on adult women. About that. <laughs> Got that Temple of Doom episode coming up. Can't wait. Oh, shit. That's right. Oh, damn, man. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oof. So uh, we got we got the Jack, and uh, then the rest of the movie has... There are three named white characters. There's the guy who's interviewing um, uh, Egg at the beginning. Yeah, the attorney uh, who, guy. Yeah. And that, that scene was thrown in at the studio's request... Because they wanted Jack to look more like a hero. Um, and it's clear if you watch it knowing that, that Carpenter made it so that that's still a joke. That he's Dude, really I know, right? Yeah. Which also just lets me know how little the studio actually looked into this movie and what it could actually be saying and what it's about. Where they're like, you need to make him more like the badass at the start of the movie. But you know that John <laughs> Carpenter was like, actually... This is a really good idea because I can have Egg Shin being interviewed by some other white guy and Egg Shin being like, oh, yeah, Jack Burton's a hero. You need to find him. He uh, uh-huh. he was the linchpin of this whole thing. Just basically yeah, throwing the other, the other yeah. white guy off of his trail because he knows that white guy will believe the white guy exactly. yes. saved this entire situation. <laughs> so it's like it actually ended up better because of that. Yeah. Um, uh, you got that guy, uh, and he, he's in X-Files. He played, he played Deep Throat in X-Files. Um, and then you have, uh, our reporter, Gracie Law, played by Kim Cattrall, um, who is great. She's adorable. She plays the, like, comedic role really well. Uh, and, you know, uh, Carpenter was going for that Howard Hawks type of vibe between her and, and, um, Kurt Russell. And you get that, that sort of back and forth. 
cute yeah dude thing. yeah they're definitely great together and i love that she also has a little bit of that bimbo self-important american vibe to her too right. like yeah they're all in um wang's restaurant and she comes in and she's like don't panic it's me grace law right. like she's like like she's the fucking main <laughs> character now right out of nowhere and the same can be said for the other white character margot litzenberg played by kate burton of long time of, of gray's anatomy um she also seems to think she's the uh, protagonist of these events. Like, she's the reporter getting the story, getting the scoop of what's going on. Oh, yeah. In I'm going to bust this thing wide open. Right. And and that's, like, so perfect because they're all three butting into a situation that they don't need to be involved in at all. And no. their presence doesn't uh, help anything. <laughs> and they they really are just kind of in the way. And yeah. <laughs> it all gets resolved by the the people who are actually involved in the situation and know the nuances of everything. And the movie also does a good job of like not giving us all the exposition all at once because again, the idea is that these people like the the main beef going on between Lopan and uh, uh, you know uh, Wang Chi and Egg. All that that's going on is the main story, and they don't feel the need to explain to the white people who just butted into it what's going on. Yeah, the 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 Chinese characters know what's happening, and it's exactly. like the American characters in the movie are as clueless as us. Like, right? The American characters need to be fed exposition just as badly as we do but like the chinese characters this is all very self-contained they know what's going on they know the history of it they've got it they just have to stop and explain to us every now and then exactly yeah it does a real good job of of like uh yeah just just making not only this this like gigantic cast of of asian actors getting cast to be like meaty roles that oh, yeah. are outside of like stereotypical caricatures and stuff like that. Dude, especially for 1986, think about the right. way that other Asian Americans were being portrayed. I mean, we just talked about on the uh, the Night of the Creeps episode, the Asian janitor guy, which is, yeah, you know, like you totally said, he was born dreamy. in L.A., but they just had him put on this really cliche Asian accent. I mean, then Long Duck Dong, all those other Asian characters that were being portrayed in the 80s. And John Carpenter's like... No, let's make them the capable ones. Uh, let's make the Americans the fucking idiots here. Yeah. So I, I think, like, you know, you, you, you look at um, what he's trying to say here, and it's like he he's avoided the trap of, you know, because he wanted to make, he had been wanting to make a uh, martial arts type of movie for a while, and this script came to him i'll talk about the the script's evolution because it, it originally mm. started out as a, a western um yeah this script came to him um and they they did some he did the, some rewrites of the rewrites done by uh wd richter who directed buckaroo banzai bonsai um he did some rewrites and kind of beefed up the the grace role um but he he really did just take it in his hands and make it do his best to make it not racist. Like, yeah, there's so many movies that came out around this time that just didn't even attempt anything of the sort. 
And he, he's doing his best to take this script and make it not racist and funny and entertaining and still including some like really cool practical effects. Like it's a very Carpenter fucking movie. Oh dude, through and through, man, the aesthetic of the movie is absolutely Carpenter. Like there are so many parts in this movie, especially towards the, the, the start of it, whenever he's in all those back alleys and shit where the shots are just so perfectly eighties Carpenter, man, the color uh-huh. grading, the framing, I think yeah. it's just a really great looking movie that just reeks of Carpenter's um, eye that he's always had. And, you know, he worked with, uh, is it Dean Kundi and stuff on this? I think this is the yeah, last yeah. movie they worked yeah. on together. Uh huh. That's a big part of it, too, of course. It, it, it's got, yeah, it's got that, that look. Um, this is, of course, 1986. So this is before uh, They Live and, and uh, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. But. This is his last like Hollywood picture. Um, yeah. This is for 20th Century Fox, and he he kind of was done with it before he took this. Like this is a, a movie he took because he thought he'd have a good time making it. Uh, Kurt Russell was like uh, kind of on a on a down slope as far as his movies making money. Uh, and, and Carpenter wanted to cast him, and, and Kurt Russell told him, like, hey, you know, like, I, I'm kind of box office poison right now. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's going to help your movie or not. And Carpenter's like, I don't care about that. I just want to make a movie with you. So Carpenter yeah. making this movie is just kind of like, I'm done with Hollywood already. Um, <laughs> I just want to go out with a bang with a, a $20 million budget. Um, nice. And, and, and he did like he's he's going out with a bang like he went all for it like when you get down into that like ritual area where you got the like big six arm statue with like neon green tube light on it, it and oh stuff. my god dude all it's the neon so lighting so cool. sick that set is great the sets in general throughout the movie are fucking sick man like even so the yeah. the layer where like the uh, what's he called is he called the Chinese wild man the big like eight foot beast thing uh, that like layer that it lives in is super sick. All the sets are so good, very detailed. Yeah, I uh, the the eyeball eye monster thing is so Dude, good. It's like so, so fucking good. So it's such a weird thing to be there. It's only there for a brief time. Like you only see it, uh, I think, like three times, and it, it gets killed. Um, I. It, I think it costs like a hundred thousand dollars. Richard Edlund said the 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 makeup guy or the the special effects guy. A uh, yeah. hundred thousand dollars for that, just for like you know a few frames or whatever. But it's just like it's clear Carpenter's just going all out. Like I, I'm it's gonna so get good. yeah, I'm gonna get all the goofy shit in there, <laughs> dude. The <laughs> way too that the movie just continually reveals more and more of this like weird surreal fantasy world that's going on that's something that i was absolutely not expecting i mean at the start of the movie you know we have the the gang fight and you have some supernatural elements with the three storms and lopan but Uh i was not expecting shit like yeah the 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 chinese wild man like yeti beast guy i was not expecting this that sewer crazy fucking yeah dude the (laughs) weird like monster in the sewer what the fuck was that (laughs) <laughs> it's there and gone. Like it's there for yeah. one scene. It eats a guy, then it never shows up again. <laughs> and, I was yeah. not expecting those elements. Yeah, it, it really it it's like 
I don't know. Like, and it, and it slowly submerges you in the fantasy too. Like it gives you a hint. I mean, the beginning, of course, with, with egg showing a little bit of lightning to the, the guy doing the, the investigation. Uh, and then, yeah, it, you get, they get into that alley and you got the gang fighting. Uh, and then those three guys show up and, it's like, wait, what's going on? And then Lopan shows up and gets ran over and then is like shooting beams of light out of his face. It's like, yeah, what? what? The fuck? But yeah, then like, again, the, like 40 minutes in is when you see that like uh, hairy wild man thing. And then, you know, you don't see another thing like that for a while until that sewer monster. And then a little bit after that, you see the eyeball thing. So it's like you're slowly brought into this. Uh, this world of like black magic and stuff. But most of what Jack Burton's focused on is stuff like getting his truck back and insurance claims <laughs> for his truck and just getting American money. shit. Yeah. He's just so focused on, on all the wrong stuff, no matter what's going on. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Yeah, I, I do. I do love how this kind of does put a toe into the fantasy waters here, man. And I guess too, that's part of what, maybe contributed to this being such a box office flop is like maybe especially to like to squares that watch this movie and thought that they needed to shoot a new intro because jack burton wasn't the big american hero enough (laughs) yeah if that was their outlook on it there's no way in hell they would know how to market this movie i mean especially 1986 you're like okay a horror director directed a largely asian cast kung fu fantasy movie with kurt russell like american hunk like, how do you advertise that? Like, I really don't know. I feel like somebody now would have a better chart, a better time doing that because oh, movies like this that are so weird and genre bending have become a lot more commonplace. I mean, even a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, they knew how to market that. They knew how to market it as like, oh yeah, it's fucking bonkers. You'll enjoy it. I feel like uh, you know they just didn't know how to advertise this thing, man. Yeah, I think I think that's clear uh, also because of Golden Child failing as well because uh, Eddie Murphy was not box office poison. Eddie Murphy was hot, like super, like huge, uh, yeah, superstar at the time. And the fact that that movie didn't really make money, um, yeah, the, it it is weird. It's a weird thing. Um, as it's also a problem that uh, 20th Century Fox only put about three million dollars into advertising for this which sounds like a lot but oftentimes uh, advertising budgets will be like half of the film budget or even as much as the film budget depending yeah. on exactly like a, a marvel movie might get a hundred million dollars uh, spent on it just advertising um wow this is a 20 million dollar budget to spend three million dollars advertising it it's like you, you're saying you know it's not going to make money. Uh, it's almost like you've given up before you've released it. Um, and then they also released it around the time Aliens was going to be coming out. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's 1986. I, I know this is going to. It's definitely in 1986. There were people who went to the movies every week, but most people like you went to the movies when a movie was coming out that you were interested in going to. So if aliens is coming out in a couple weeks, you're not going to just pop into the theater to see this Carpenter movie. Um, Mm -hmm. so that 
Carpenter thinks there may have been a little bit of like, you know, uh, the fact that they released it too close to aliens kind of hurt its overall box office. Um, but it, it, it really, it, it made like 25 or, uh, uh, made like 11 million off of a $20 million budget. So that's not a lot of people were going to see it, but it got such a huge following in the video age too. Like it started getting a real cult following after that. Once people saw it and the word of mouth gets out, you know, and it's on, it's on the shelves and you're like, Oh, I mean the, the cover looked cool. You can see the poster on, on Hulu now with him, like with that, that mini Uzi and, and you know, the, the explosion behind him and all that stuff. Like the cool shirt. It's so iconic. Yeah. I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, I bet that's cool. Um, so I think, you know, if this had come out in the streaming era, uh, and it come direct to streaming, say like Prey did, um, it, it probably would have been that quick word of mouth of like, have you seen this weird ass movie, uh, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China? I that think the I Halloween think it guy did. On. Yeah. The <laughs> Halloween guy made. Yeah. I think it probably would have caught on there. Yeah. I think so, man. I think so. And, you know, just like any other kung fu flick, the the fighting is definitely one of the, the main focal points of this flick, man. It starts off with that huge alleyway brawl, <laughs> and we're treated to, like, a million other fight scenes throughout the movie, uh, basically none of which are featuring the star of the movie, dude. I love out of so every much. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, he's always fucking blowing it. He goes in just, you know, talking a big show, super, super confident. And then he'll do some dumb shit like when he he's like trying to pull that that knife out of his boot and it just slips out of his hand and so he has to go look for it and he misses the entire fight scene. <laughs> and then I love the time it. when he goes to to shoot at the guys and like his safety's on or whatever. Oh, dude, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the Asian guy has to remind him. I think he's I think it's Eddie or somebody's with yeah, him. He's Eddie, like, "Oh, uh, you got to take the safety off." And then like you can tell whenever he does shoot that guy, Jack Burton is just like, holy shit. I just shot like a it, person. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just killed that guy. And Eddie's like, is this the first time you plugged somebody? And he was like, no, no, uh-uh, no, yeah. not at all. But all you can tell him. he's like shook. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's shook. What about after they take that uh, that magic potion there at the end and they're heading in for the final battle and he just in a, you know, American bravado sort of way is like firing a couple shots off which knocks some stone loose and it knocks him the fuck out and he just misses the whole scene. God, it's so fucking funny. It's yeah. so fucking funny, man. Yeah, it is. It's it's perfect. And then, like, yeah, because, like, in the background, yes, we have so many great fight scenes and so many great stunts and stuff. And you'll see, like, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the people in the gangs have been in the past in, like, John Carpenter movies or just tons of other, like, stunt uh, stuff. Yeah, they do a lot of real fun things. You also have like the fight with like um, the the three storms. Uh, those guys showing off their their different abilities and whatnot. Every time lightning's on screen, he's going insane. Like just love it. Yeah, yeah, like all over the place shooting lightning. I love it. And that like animated lightning around his body and stuff looks so fucking sick. So too. cool. Yeah, and then also that that uh, sword fight between. Um, uh, Rain and uh, what the fuck Wang Chi? It's Wang, yeah, so yeah. sick, dude. Yeah, I I just think like so much, and even like just the way that uh, um, Lopan opens up his eyes and his mouth and shoots out 
light that is like somehow i don't know like poisonous or something like all of that is so interesting because it's, it, it's unique it's different uh from american perspective i know none of this is actual like mythology i don't think it's all kind of creative fantasy um but all of this is like very unique and, and like disarming to oh, yeah. see in an action movie well, and also, too, just like whenever you watch Kill Bill, it's like you can tell that this is a movie that is made by somebody who loves the shit out of these kung yeah. fu flicks. Yeah. Yeah, this is somebody who has seen a lot of them. He really wanted uh, Jackie Chan for Wang because uh, Police Story had just come out in 85, and it was like a huge hit, and Jackie Chan was like gigantic. And I could see that. Um I mean, Jack, Jackie Chan's English was not great in, in 1986, so I think uh, getting Dennis Dunn to do it was probably better. because He's he, so good, man. He is so good. Yeah, he's, like, very charismatic. He's not... He wasn't... He had, like, had some minor martial arts training, but not really anything. He just kind of really? learned it on the set to look as good as it does. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, he does it very well. I, w- I never would have known. Yeah, he does a great job. That's awesome, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, and I love too that like obviously Kurt Russell did like no fight training. <laughs> like oh, none, can't, none. he can't fight at all, man. Like that none, one time whatsoever. in that final battle too, where like there's the big armored guard guy that's like about uh-huh. to stab him and he has that boot knife and he kind of sticks it out of the bottom of his boot and the the armored guy like falls on him and then Jack is just like trapped under him. <laughs> yeah, Jack clearly skips leg day. If you can, yeah. I mean, at maximum, even with the the armor on him, he's like maybe three hundred pounds. You can push that off of you. Come on, <laughs> no, not Jack. He's a fucking truck not driver. Dude. He's probably got the damn. He's got the thrombosis underneath those uh, moccasin <laughs> boots that he's wearing. You know, <laughs> that's what's Sitting going all on. Day. Yeah, yeah, man. Also, love too, dude. That scene whenever he has like a really badass moment. It's whenever him and Wang are locked up in that chamber with like the skeletons hanging. And one of the three storms, I can't remember which one it is, this guy that, like, inflates and blows up later. Uh-huh, thunder, uh-huh. Thunder. He busts in there, and Jack, like, gets the jump on him and, like, jumps on his back and puts that knife at his throat. And, like, mm-hmm. Wang and Eddie get away, and they're like, come on, Jack, let's go. And Jack <laughs> is like, how? Like, he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. He's not ready to, like, cut this guy's throat, but he also doesn't know how to get away. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you this, man. Like, a fun game. You will die, but... <laughs> Take a shot every time Jack Burton asks a question in this movie. <laughs> he, is, he is a question-asking motherfucker. Because <laughs> it's like every five seconds, he's like, what? What's going on? What do you mean? Where'd that come yeah. from? Like, he yeah. never knows a fucking thing about what is going on ever. And he's just constantly asking questions, trying to keep up with everybody. Yeah. It's perfect. Um, we should, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, earlier that this is, of course, connected to Mortal Kombat in that the the three thunders, or what are they called? The the three storms. Three storms, yeah. Yeah, they're the obvious inspiration for Raiden. Um, and then Lopan is an inspiration for Shang Tsung. So, Clearly. Clear as day, yeah, man. This, like, in the, you know, Mortal Kombat, of course, was one of those things as a kid. I don't know when they came out, like 92, 93, started hitting yeah. arcades. And I, I just remember, like, it was everything. Like, you know, because uh, uh, you got uh, Johnny Cage, who's like your JCVD character and whatnot. And then you got these, like, uh, Big Trouble in Little China type characters. And then all these other characters that looked like uh, 
people from ninja movies from the 80s it as a kid it was just like this is perfect i didn't yeah, even dude. know that they were directly inspired by the 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 three storms and, and lopan that that's really cool as clear as day now and too like you know now after especially having just watched it for the show I can even see the influence in the way that a lot of the the backgrounds, the stages in Mortal Kombat, the right. way that they look, like the the grimy ass like dungeons and sewers and uh-huh. shit you fight in, all look like sets from this movie, man, for sure. For sure, yeah, yeah. I I think um, uh, are are two like actors you probably seen for sure in this. Uh, the guy who plays Lopan, James Hong, and the guy who plays Egg Shin, Victor Wong. Um, yeah, dude. There are two like main dark wizard type of characters who were fighting each other through magic there at the end. Uh, to played by two like highly respected Asian actors, and they like I I, I want because like I know when they were filming this, John Carpenter uh, said that that an Asian rights organization had like contacted them saying that they were using like racial stereotypes and characters mm. and stuff like that. And he asked the cast what they thought. Um, and, and the cast all universally like agreed like, no, 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 this you're, you're putting uh, Asian characters into strong roles that are like interesting that are more than just the stereotypes. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, I think knowing that you have James Wong uh, or James Hong and, and Victor Wong in this, these two actors who at this point are already like their IMDBs are huge. Like they both go on to make more stuff beyond this. Oh, dude, um, you could wallpaper your fucking house with their resumes combined. It's right? insane how many things yeah. this guy's been in. Yeah, like I, I think they obviously like the character you might say is is stereotypical would be Lopan. I don't think there's anything about Lopan that is anything more than menacing. And like, I know, right? Right. Like he's not, he's not playing. Cause like, uh, you know, you, you could connect him to say like, you know, comic, very bad comic book villains from the Korean war era and stuff that are even, you know, world war two, that would be these, uh, stereotypes of an Asian character who propaganda this, style this, villains. Yeah. Right. Who had all this power and stuff. I think the way that the Lopan is written and the way James Hong plays him very clearly is, is not uh, buying into stereotypes. It is using genre conventions in a very effective manner, but we're not falling into stereotype here. This is James Hong making a villain go over by being very villainous and He's doing his own voice with a little more like, you know, uh, mysticism to it and a little more. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of goes a lot higher at times to really indicate the evil. And like, that's like fucking perfect, I think. I think he's great. I love whenever he does those like evil giggles throughout the Uh movie. He does that stuff a lot of time. Yeah. It's like almost very like Voldemort ish in a lot of ways. Yeah, exactly. And but the thing is, he's still really like. Uh, he's still really funny because like, you know, that scene where he's still old and he's talking to them and these, they're like strapped to those wheelchairs or whatever. Um, the, there's like a, an alert from his security guards that some people are there and he says, friends of yours, 
this is starting to piss me off. And it's just yeah. like, like, he's gone <laughs> from being this up. like mystical, scary character to just a pissed off old man. <laughs> yeah, dude, that cracked me up too. I caught that today while I was watching it for a second time where I was like, yeah, he was just spinning all this mystical, these are uh-huh. unknowable questions that you mortals right. could never understand. Then yeah, it pissed me right off or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, I fucking there's, funny. There's like, I think one big flaw i have with the movie i don't it doesn't affect anything to me uh but i was thinking about it with lopan's like um actual motivation that um he lopan has been cursed because he he used to have an evil control over china and the person who brought together the seven kingdoms defeated lopan and cursed him to um uh this curse of no flesh or whatever. And, uh, he can ask the gods to give him a body and he can live in the body until it dies. And then he goes back to his spirit form. But if while in that body, he marries a woman with green eyes and then sacrifices her, he can become uh, mortal again. Yeah. And the movie, the premise early on is that, there's this very rare green eyed, uh, Chinese girl coming in who is the, um, uh, fiance of, of Wang. Uh, and green eyes are very rare though. There are Chinese people with green eyes. Um, the, the idea seemed to be to me that, Oh, he needed a Chinese girl with green eyes, but then no, um, Kim Cattrall also has green eyes and he's like, Oh, another one with the green eyes. That'll work, too. Um, but it's got to be like a lady who can tame the blinding blade. It sounds like it's got to be a person with the right mental fortitude and uh, green eyes. And green eyes, yeah. Yeah, so the, the, there was like some mix in there for me where it was just like, okay, like, you're in San Francisco. Like, I guarantee you can find somebody with green eyes. Right. <laughs> you don't have to you don't have to go kidnap this person that was already kidnapped. She got double kidnapped in this movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I, I, I still have a question there about like, okay, so if he could if he could just go with anybody with green eyes, like they I don't see what his problem was. You can easily find someone with green eyes if you're in California. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, overall, though, as far as, like, there any kind of, like, racist stuff going on in here, I will say this movie has aged infinitely better than so many other Asian portrayals that we had in, like, major Hollywood movies by white directors. Like, again, I'm not an Asian person. I can't say if this yeah, is offensive true. or not, you know? Yeah, I would like to hear from anyone who, who might have, if you, if you have any, like, uh, issues with it, let us know. Um, I, From my perspective... I, I certainly know that certain things can be racist without white people ever having any concept of that because we're just uh, taught to be inherently racist. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> we definitely don't want to to clear this racism. Somebody out there is like, no, 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 this is super racist. Let us know. I just, dude, the thing that I love about this that I really got whenever I was watching it the other night is that, you know, I watched this movie and it really dawned on me that, you know, big bravado American Jack Burton thinks he's the main character this entire time when ultimately he is at best a sidekick. Like he's an NPC throughout this entire flick. He he thinks he's the main character. And then at the end of it, I was like, man, this is like a total 
anti-white savior movie at the end of the yep. day. Yeah, and then is. I was like, man, I wonder if John Carpenter meant to do that or if it just turned out that way. And then it's like, no, he did. Like, he absolutely yeah, fucking wrote it that way. Yeah, Because yeah. that I guy mean, rules. I would love to yeah, hang out does. with that fucking guy. 100%. Um, he he definitely, I think... I mean, because we're, we're talking about this is a... This is post-era, like, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. Like, he had lived through our imperialist white people going into Asian countries pretending to fix problems, but really being the problem. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, that that's all very intentional that uh, this would come across then as, like, this anti-white savior trope where, you know, you, you're not... <laughs> buddy, you're not helping anything. <laughs> you're just along for the ride. <laughs> it's just more woke garbage is what this is. Right, yeah, it's some of that 1986 woke garbage. Dude, uh, if you put this out now, though, you know there'd be some fucking goddamn Facebook mm-hmm. thread yep. about, like, oh, it's trying to show you that white people's useless. This is woke. Cancel John yep. Carpenter. Like, oh, go to fucking hell, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there there is, like... Definitely, it's it's always going to be tinged with the era and the understanding. I mean, even even if you're you have a, a good comprehension and you're trying your best to be anti-racist and stuff like that, uh, at that time it's 1986. You just don't have the connection to I don't know. Go on Twitter and see what people think or whatever. Uh, yeah, and it's still I think for me uh, still seems to stand up the test of time. Doesn't make me. Uh, feel all gross inside no. watching it now uh-uh. uh, no nah, man it's also just such a wonderfully fast-paced movie like it's it's pretty yeah. tight it's what like an hour 40 something like yeah, that Yeah, an hour 40 and it doesn't it doesn't get there's no real lull i mean because like they they kind of get out of a situation to get into a situation to get out of a situation like it, it, there's this constant motion where like <laughs> it seems like of the way I was thinking of it was like if you were Jack Burton this has to have been the fucking most insane day of your life right yeah <laughs> like no it's just relentless never stops crazy shit left and right it's perfect though like cuz it it does keep them it keeps you going with it cuz you never really know what the next thing is going to be. Oh yeah. Plus just the way that the, the myth and the world keeps expanding. It keeps you interested. Like there's really no lulls whatsoever in this movie, even though there are multiple points where the characters have to regroup and form a plan. Yeah. It never drags like even for a second in this flick, it's really well put together. And even just the, the light humor throughout the movie keeps you going, whether it's Jack being an absolute idiot or, (laughs) you know, People like Wang understanding that Jack is also an idiot and kind of fucking with him. Like, th- I love that part where they're in the warehouse and there's that big door with like the Chinese symbols on it. And Jack's like, what does that say? And Wang's like, oh, it says proceed through here and you enter the, the hell of boiling oil or whatever. And Jack's like, does it really? And he's like, no, I'm just playing it. It just says, do not enter. <laughs> like, the subtle humor coming from the characters that know that he knows nothing is hilarious and so subtle too it's never like yuck yuck laugh out loud goofy three stoogesy shit it's all played pretty subtle but i, I think it's hilarious I, and uh, the way that like uh he he's also like 
shown in so many different ridiculous outfits. Like when he's on uh, the phone with his insurance company and he's yeah. wearing that, he's just wearing that, that uh, kimono. Uh, and then when he goes to the, the white tiger place or whatever, he's dressed all nerdy. And he's got, like, I love hair, seeing like, him be the nerd side and stuff. Yeah. I love so it. So like, funny. This, it, it really gave Kurt Russell a lot to do in this. Like, cause, cause as I said, like, I really feel like Jack, Jack shows two different sides. He, he shows his like bravado side, but there are times where he's just like really vulnerable. Like that part where they, like he like backs his truck out and there's like six people in the cab and he does it like <laughs> real fast and then hits the brakes real fast. And then he's like, sorry, it's like a real yeah. quiet, like, sorry that sounds nerdier and more like vulnerable than he's normally talking like he really does feel kind of embarrassed in that moment because he he's like said he's this great truck driver and now he's kind of fucking up (laughs) he's got moments where like he breaks his john wayne persona that he has invented for himself and he's like oh shit like i'm kind of an idiot well anyway back to being john wayne (laughs) like he gets right back into it it never lets him (laughs) Yeah, he never sways too much. He's always right back to being John Wayne as fast as he can. But he has moments yeah. in this where, yeah, his character kind of breaks for a second. Like after he shoots that guy, like I was saying earlier. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, oh uh, wait, no, I'm a tough guy. I've killed 100 yeah, people. Yeah, of course, like, yeah. He's so good. Now, you're right. He did have a lot to work with here, and I'm sure he had a fucking blast playing this character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't imagine, like... I mean, he he said in the, the director's uh, commentary that the, he thinks this is the, the best performance he's given wow Um, so that that matters a lot i think especially i mean this was uh in 2000 he said this he may have changed in the past 20 some years but uh at that point he had already played like you know uh uh he'd been in tombstone and and been in uh, uh escape from new york and all these other like great roles that he had played but this is the one he thinks he did the best at so that's that's rad man I wonder how much he contributed to it. Like if he made up all of his own self mythologizing, uh, it's almost like he's cutting wrestling promos to nobody over the CB radio <laughs> at the start and end of the movie. Yeah. I, I as far as I understand, that was kind of all in the script. And he, he was a little hesitant at first as to how he would like make that work. Uh, because, you know, as I said, the, the character is like, he, he ping pongs back between this like vulnerable. Oh, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Uh, type of like very minute moments back to his bravado. So like, how do you play that character? How do you play that bravado when you know he is really kind of like uh, underneath, actually like scared to death because he doesn't know what's happening. Uh, I, and and yeah, so I, I think the the script must have had I, the thing is the script like uh, Gary Goldman and David Z Weinstein's script was originally like a it was a western set in eighteen eighty with with all these kind of things happening well oh. some of them there were there were there were some changes and stuff so it, it would have been um you know the 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 real issue that they had with it is you know doing a period piece and, and whatnot that runs into some money and having to speak in this sort of like 1880s dialogue and whatnot mm, and would yeah. that work for this kind of wacky action type of thing Plus the cost uh, of the sets and all that too. You're just looking at money, 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 just by yeah. doing it back then. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, their name is still 
listed as the writers, though they refused to do any rewrites when they said they wanted them to make it contemporary. So the rewrites were done by W.D. Richter, the director of Buckaroo Banzai, um, and he did a ton of rewriting. So a lot of what came out of it came from him, but because there was a WGA ruling that the original authors still got the credit or whatever. So the the script didn't change much though after that. Like the, people were pretty much sticking to the scripts. Not a lot, not a ton of improv or anything going on. So that is hmm. really just like a well written character that Kurt Russell found the center of and really figured out how to actually play it in a way that would work. Nice man. I'll say another strength of this movie too. Unlike unlike a lot of the flicks that we do, I know that we have a lot of people listen to our show that have like you know young kids or early teenagers and stuff that probably shouldn't or can't watch a lot of the movies that we talk about right. on the show. But dude, uh-huh. this movie, fucking you watch this with yeah. your kids, man. Have a good yeah, time sure. with it. Yeah. There's like basically no gore in it. Uh, I think no. the only blood in the movie is whenever Lopan like uh, pricks her with the, the wedding needle or whatever it's called. I think that's the only blood in the movie and it's minute. Like it's not gory at all. But at the same time, right. I never feel cheated. I never feel like, oh, they just cut gore out. That way it wouldn't get an R rating or whatever. Like, I never feel cheated with gore or the lack of gore in this flick. Right. It's. I mean, it's got violence, but it's, you know, the the same type of violence you'd see in a, a, a children's cartoon. Like, maybe not now. I, I don't really watch a lot of children's cartoons now, but certainly the level of violence you'd see in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Yeah, totally. I think it's fucking great. Like I, I can't honestly think of any complaints about no. this movie. It's like it's got great action stuff. It's got great comedy stuff. It's paced super well. The effects are fucking sick. I can't really complain about much. Is there anything about this you think could have been better? Uh, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a little more definition as to why it had to be a specific green-eyed person or whatever. But I don't think that's necessary. It's the only time I've ever noticed that that doesn't really make sense, and I don't think it matters. Um, no. Yeah, no, I, I, I think this movie is is um, right up there, like with with other Carpenter movies. I, you know, I, I love In the Mouth of Madness. I love Halloween. I love this movie. It'd be hard for me to pick which of those three I think is his best. Halloween is probably know, right? the one that most people would go with. And In the Mouth of Madness is nowhere near most people's top. Uh, but I think this one... Oh, well, fuck, I forgot the thing. God damn. Oh, shit, damn. It's yeah. real hard fuck. to rank Carpenter favorites, right? Yeah, <laughs> if I had to make a top three, Carpenter. man... Like, it would be really, really, really tough for me to make a top three because of yeah. those four movies right there. Like, I, I was listening to you say that, and I'm like, yeah, I think Halloween Ma- Madness and this, it's like, that's probably my top three. And then it's like, oh, wait, the goddamn thing. Yeah, which Holy is one of the shit. best horror movies ever made, yeah. Ever made, dude. It's hard to say. So this is definitely up there for me as one of the absolute best Carpenter flicks. Uh, and I like all those movies for different reasons. They all scratch different itches, and that's what I love about John Carpenter, yeah. dude. Like he he really gets whatever genre subgenre he's going for. He really he understands does. the yeah. ins and outs of it, and is a fan and a student of whatever it is that he's working on. Uh, yeah. He's the fucking king, dude. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, so it's really easy for me to rank this. Uh, I'm going to give it a 10. Uh, 10, dude. Yeah, there's probably a lot of, like, uh, for me, there might be a lot of, of you know, tied up nostalgia, but I Not still for me. Think, yeah, I was going to say, I still think it, it really is just like a gem of a, a weirdo action movie uh, that really still stands up. Totally, man. And just so unique. Like, if you are in the mood to watch this movie, nothing else will do. Like, you just have to watch Big Trouble in Little China if you want to see this <laughs> yes. tone, this atmosphere, all this jazz. There's nowhere else you can go for it. So it continues just to be a, uh, a standalone, unique, weird, fun flick. What, 30-something years later almost, right? Yeah. Well, almost 40 I, years later. Fuck. Almost, yeah. Uh, it is It is creeping up on 40 years, and... I, I think, man, like, it, it kind of I, it does seem like it would fit better today if it came out. Like, it feels yep. like the type of movie that would have been appreciated more today. So, yeah, love it. Cool stuff, man. I uh, look forward to hearing what you guys think about this one over on our Instagram and uh, Facebook group. All that stuff that you guys can find using the aforementioned link tree dead and lovely page to find all of our social medias and stuff. Be sure to subscribe to our Patreon account and support the show. You guys get that brand new prey mini sode maxi sode that we just put out here. Our thoughts, spoiler free and spoilerific on that one. That's going to be available. Even if you just support the show for a buck, but if you support at $5 or more, what can they do? You can throw a movie into the smoking bowl. And then uh, we once a month at the end of the month, we draw from the smoking bowl and we review that movie last episode Ooh. of the month. Uh, and we, it, you know, it's wide open this month for any action movie, horror movie you want to throw in there. Uh, we action movie would be fun or movie fun too. So just, it's your money. Head on over there. Yeah. I've already put up the, the submission post on Patreon. So if you, if you're a $5 subscriber, head over there, put something in there. Let's get some good old action movies to choose from. Last action hero is actually in the bowl. Just so you know. Oh, sick. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It was submitted. Tight. I was immediately was like, fuck yes. I didn't even know you hadn't seen it. So, uh, fuck, that'd be cool if I got, it got drawn. Hell yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. So sign up today. What's the URL? Patreon.com slash? Uh, Patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. There you go. Sign up today and support the show. Also help support the show by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you can do it. Hire a Skywriter, if you can, in your local town to write... <laughs> Go listen to Dead and Lovely now. That'd be really sick. That'd be really cool. <laughs> so see what you can do to support the show. Tell a friend about it. It's all word of mouth, this uh, this old podcast bit. Yeah, so uh-huh. do you boys a favor. And be sure to also tune in next week as we continue Action August. Action August. What are we talking about next week, man? Aliens. James Cameron. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, dude, Jimmy James Cameron continuing his streak of dropping a hot part two. He drops a hot <laughs> deuce all over the place, That's doesn't true. He? Yeah, Jimmy Cameron full of hot deuces. Full of hot deuces, man. So tune in for that one. That's going to be a lot of fun because that movie is fucking sick, dude. Yeah, it is. I'm excited. Love it. That'll be a good one. So tune in next time. Thank you guys so much for listening. I've been your good buddy, Uncle Ben. I've been Hollywood Steve. And we've been dead and lovely. Catch you guys later. Game over. (laughs) 
You know, with the Marvel Cinematic Universe continually expanding the way that it is, you know, we're, we're getting the Fantastic Four and stuff in here right. soon, uh, which probably means a Silver Surfer, which probably also means a Galactus at some point, right? Probably. Probably, yeah. I'm just wondering if with all the additional detail we're getting about these characters and their mythos and so on, if the MCU is ever going to crack the code of what a Galactus poop must be like, right? Guy eats an entire planet? Yeah. Dude, what's coming out the back end on that guy? Are we going to get to see it? <laughs> I mean, like, what is it? Like, just asteroids? Is that what asteroids are? It's just Galactus right? shit? <laughs> it's Galactus getting frustrating pebble poop at the end of the day after eating a whole planet? Is that what it is? <laughs> that makes sense. You know? I mean, I really do hope they get into it. It seems like the type of thing they probably will talk about. We got to. They're going to run out of material at some point. We're just going to have to start exploring all that stuff. Sign <laughs> I'm me up. Excited for it. Yeah. If Galactus gets the shits, that's got to be. I mean, like, can you imagine just like, all right, so like he's eating a world, right? He's got he's got this world he's picked up and he's chawing on it like an apple or whatever. Um. I mean, individually, like as a person, the likelihood he actually chews you up is pretty small. So yeah, you're gonna so. like end up like in his stomach asses, just like fuck. Ah! <laughs> oh, if you see Galactus coming, run into a cornfield, cover yourself ah, in corn. Yeah, You'll be fine. there you go. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's the safety. I like it. 